PT Pro Talk Podcast, the fastest way to increase your knowledge with the brightest minds of physical therapy in your pocket. Welcome to PT Pro Talk Podcast. I am Mariana Tondo, your host for today. In this episode, Dr. Scott Eisel and Nick Bells will talk about Integrated Musculoskeletal Care IMC Business Model. They are going to discuss how IMC business model differ from normal PT models, how they train and quality assure clinicians, and much more. Dr. Scott is McKenzie Diplomat and the VP of Clinical Operations at IMC. Nick Pels is the VP of Operations at IMC. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi Scott, hi Nick, welcome to PT Pro Talk. How are you today? Hi, doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey Scott. Hello there, I'm doing well as well. Awesome. So today we are going to talk about the IMC business model. So uh, before we get started, could you just share a little bit about yourself, your background, and how did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I can go ahead and start and then hand it over to Scott. Um, so, yeah, so as, as far as uh, my role at IMC, I'm the Vice President of Operations. Um, so I primarily work on the business side and handle our account management and really anything that goes into the operational process and then work closely with Scott and the rest of our clinical team as well. Um, as far as my background, um, I worked briefly as a consultant for IMC um, prior to coming on board full-time at IMC. Um, so I did that for about two years, and then I've been working as an employee of IMC for about the past five years now. And, you know, yeah, so I, um, differently than Nick, so I serve as the VP of clinical operations and also serve as a clinician within IMC's organization. So I'll go kind of retro. I, I have been with IMC for it'll be 10 years this June. And um, and obviously MDT trained, got diplomaed in 2012. Um, and that's really what brought me to, MD, uh, to IMC in the first place was the MDT training. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, and then that's where I serve now as a clinician as well as then on the um, operations side with leadership. Awesome. So now just let's talk about uh, the IMC business model in general. So I don't know if Nick wants to start talking about that. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, yeah, so so maybe it's best uh, I could just kind of give a little bit of background. So um, IMC was started by two MDT clinicians. Um, for those of you that may not know our backstory, um, that was Mark Miller, um, who's faculty with McKinsey Institute, and then Chad Gray, who's also MDT certified. And basically, the goal of the company was to take the MDT model and then have a way to standardize clinicians in that model and then measure outcomes on a consistent basis so that we can perform quality assurance on clinicians that have that background of training. And then ultimately bring that to employers and health plans to help them reduce the amount of their patient, the, um, their member population that are going to uh, surgeries or going to advanced imaging, injections, and so forth, and move more of those patients into the conservative care model. Um, and so initially we started 
uh, working in our headquarters location in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, where we worked with a, um, a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan called Capital Health Plan. And what we were able to do is show uh, significant reductions in the amount of patients that were escalating into that high cost surgical category. And so then we were able to sort of take that model and grow it to other areas and branch out into employers as well. Um, and so for the last about 15 years, uh, we've been around as a company and have really grown that model to a variety of different organizations where we work both on site uh, to be able to deliver care for employers that are more concentrated, where their members can come directly and see one of our clinicians who are all going to perform in that same standardized and quality assured way. Um, or they can also access us via our affiliate network model, where we partner with different MDT clinicians around the country to be able to provide care to members that maybe want to access us, but we don't have one of our own clinics nearby. Um, and then we also have a few technology options as well. So we have a telehealth model where we can deliver care um, to members that uh, are amenable to that uh, type of care delivery model. And then we also have a mobile app called Joint Strong that allows members to go through a self-care and self-assessment process to be able to resolve conditions that are more on the low complexity side. Um, Scott, anything you want to add there? No, I think it that sums up really well. I don't know if that's spurred any questions for Mariana or not. No, I think that's uh, awesome that you develop all of that and you're able to test in a smaller scale and then go to employers and offer like a system that works. And then it probably forced you to offer all these uh, virtual options and then affiliate. And then you have to probably find a way to uh, to serve all these employers, right? Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's sort of uh, grown organically over time. We um, started off more on a, a, on a local level, um, and then we're sort of, we've sort of grown over time to be able to provide the same type of services, but on a larger and larger scale. Yeah, so you have to adapt to be able to grow and, and still offer the same quality of treatment to all the patients across the board. So I think that's awesome, this idea of standardizing the, the, the care. So we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Um, so my next question is, how does your business model differ from PT models, traditional PT models? Yeah, so um, I think the, the biggest difference um, is a little bit of what we talked about as far as working directly with employers at health plans. Um, so, most PTs sort of fall into two categories for the most part. They're either working on a cash-based cash model or they're working on an insurance-based model where they're receiving fee-for-service from uh, the different groups that they work with. Uh, but instead of that model, what we've done is really contracted directly with these employers and health plans. So we have specified rates that the health plans pay us that uh, in some cases don't even run through the claims the claims system. They instead are invoiced directly and, and paid to us. And what that allows us to do is uh, really build a better relationship with the employer and make sure that they're receiving their data back and having more transparency into what's happening with their members. Um, and then it also gives the employer the opportunity to uh, structure the payment model and what aligns best with the patient care. Um, and so to do that, 
we've mostly aligned ourselves with a case rate based model where we get paid one flat rate to manage a patient's case for all of the visits that that patient may have rather than the more historical fee-for-service system uh, that most PPs operate under. And uh, at least to our mind, that really sort of aligns with the values that we're looking for for, for patient care uh, to a better degree, where if you're able to resolve a patient in five to six visits, uh, then great, you can get paid for the same amount that if it took you 10 or 12 visits to, to resolve that patient. Um, and because we're uh, held accountable to the clinical and financial outcomes as well, it sort of creates a system that uh, really aligns best with what the employer and the patient want. So that's the reason why you created like a case rate that's flat is to try to hold you accountable and provide provide more value uh, with less visits. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah, that that's what we feel that uh, when you have a case rate system in base in place, it allows you to be able to match the amount that you're receiving for the quality of care that you're delivering and the outcome that you're delivering, rather than just based off of the number of visits or the number of CPT codes that you're doing on a particular visit. And that's a big difference from traditional physical therapy, because I don't remember seeing this type of model anywhere because the traditional way is always charged by visit, right? I don't know if I'm wrong, but I don't remember seeing that in other uh, business models. So that's very different. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, that's something uh, most physical therapy groups, they uh, either work on a per visit model or on a CPT fee for service uh, based model. Um, and so with that, um, we sort of changed that system and, uh, and like I said, sort of better aligned it to the outcome. Yeah, and I think that's different because in that case, the, the, the PT is motivated to deliver the best outcome and quicker than if you are charging by session, you are not really um, rewarded to have a, a more efficient treatment and in a shorter period of time if you are making money every time the patient comes back. So I think that's another point. Yeah, I was going to say from a business model perspective, it also um, is attractive, I think, to the clients or the self-insured you know, corporations that we work with and that they see that as we have their members' best interest in mind as well as theirs. And, you know, our, from a model perspective, our group, is, since it's based on assessment, it's a comprehensive, you know, musculoskeletal management program as opposed to physical therapy in a silo. Um, and so we really, if you put our program in place, it becomes a access point for all members for whatever entity we're working with to identify what is the best pathway for them to go down for their musculoskeletal needs. Um, as opposed to, I'm going to go to physical therapy and try it. Um, and then I might move on to a different discipline. Instead, it's an entry point and we can then based on the assessment, identify what's the best pathway for them to go down. And then that's not driven by, you know, uh, fee-for-service models or things like that. It's driven by the patient's needs. Yeah, because what I think it also happens is that a lot of times MDT clinicians are not rewarded by their um, best outcomes per se if they do uh, more efficient care and see the patients for less visits, they get paid less. 
versus someone that's going to see the patient for 10 or 12 visits. So I think it's, it's complicated when you, when you are doing MDT, uh, not in this scenario, but if you're doing like self, um, if you have your own clinic, you're doing cash. Um, I think that's another thing that's really hard. And, and as you were saying for a case, I think it's a little bit different. Yeah, no, exactly. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that uh, is something that a lot of MDT clinicians deal with as far as uh, seeing patients for less visits, like getting the same outcome and having that patient reach full resolution, but then ultimately getting paid less. And so this model sort of let us flip that and sort of prioritize the outcome and no matter how many visits it takes with that patient. Yes, that's awesome. And how do you train in quality assured clinicians? Yeah, so we bring in clinicians to train that are MDT trained, and that's that, that's what we require as a basis for starting our training in and of itself. Um, and so we take preferably credentialed cl clinicians, um, but as long as you're through um, Part B and plans to go into the advanced training courses, you can at least get started. Um, but you'll get the most benefit from our training program if you've been through some of those advanced courses and are certified. Um, so once we take, and, and the reason for that is we all know um, from an MDT perspective is it, it's the most reliable musculoskeletal assessment in the literature. And so if we take a reliable assessment and then put them through our training, then we're, we can standardize around that. So then we have a web-based training platform that all of our internal clinicians as well as affiliate clinicians go through. And that involves a series of modules um, that are built out specifically to standardize the clinical process. Um, and at the end of that, then there's a certification exam. And the idea being there is if you can pass that exam based on the content and your previous clinical training, you now have a base set of knowledge that's standard in our organization. And if we have that base standard knowledge, then we can start to create a assurance around the quality of it. Um, and that's where then we have, um, outside of education, but we also have grand rounds, we call it. So that is a kind of what we'll call it data-enabled um, case management. So we, on um, patients that are seen in our system, we keep serial data on them each visit. And based on the metrics that they're reporting to um, our registry, if they aren't meeting certain benchmarks, they're flagged for what we call grand rounds. And that's a weekly call with, our, with certain senior clinicians in our organization where that case is reviewed to make sure that it's being managed properly. Um, recommendations are made then around clinical management or um, next steps based on what is what's what's being presented so that's that's a piece of the quality assurance we also have um what's called all we call it all hands grand rounds it's a monthly educational platform where um senior clinicians or mark miller usually presents um, a given clinical topic um and that is a a web-based um, virtual meeting that people can log into each month and hear and be educated around a given topic. So those are the three ways we educate and train and then the and quality assure our clinicians to make sure that we're standard in our approach. And Nick, if I missed anything there. 
Yeah, no, I think that sounds great. I think the only thing I'll add is uh, with our direct relationship with employers, uh, we're then able to share that data back with them as well. So the outcomes data that Scott talked about that we use for the grand rounds process, we also look at that on an aggregate basis um, and we both share that with our employers and then also use that to sort of measure our clinicians and provide any additional education or assistance that they might need. So we typically look every six months at that data. And so let's say there's one clinician that's doing a great job on treating knee pain, but has an issue treating shoulder pain. We're able to identify that in the outcomes data and then provide them with some additional assistance and some additional mentorship to, to help improve in that area. That's awesome. And Scott, when you were talking about the, the modules and the program, is a self-guided um, training that you go through videos and, and then you do the test? Is that how it works? Yes. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So there's um, 12 modules that are self-guided and small kind of video increments, and they're broken up with quizzes within each module, and there's reading material associated with it for you to reference. Um, and they're built they're built out from everything in the beginning of introducing IMC and what our what our process is, our organization does, to then specifics around, um, you know, clinical assessment and how to standard and how we standardize, and then into even more joint specific um, conversations that's self guided, um, and then once you're ready for it, then we can administer the exam, which is again online that you can take, um, and then that way. That gives us, like I said earlier, an understanding, okay, now you're meeting a base level, so we know we're all on the same playing field, and we can quality assure that easier. And how long does it take to go through the training? Yeah, it's, a, it's about 15 hours of online training. 15 hours. Yep. Yeah, yeah 15 hours. And how is the exam? Is harder than the certification, Scott? <laughs> Um, I, sh I should plead the fifth on that, but I will only report anecdotally that's what people say. Um, that it is more difficult than the certification exam. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I imagine. I'm probably going to phone calls about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. I would say that, you know, one of the reasons for that is, you know, as an organization, um, it's not meant to be difficult for the sake of being difficult. But, you know, when we're making arrangements or contractual um, obligations to a client, that includes clinical outcome guarantees, you know, and we're making guarantees that are contractual that we need to uphold. And so with that becomes a fairly high standard clinically that, you know, that that's part of the reason why IMC exists is so that we can create a standardized level so that we can take that to the marketplace. Um, without that, you end up with more of a standard PT model where the approach is varied and you're not going to then be able to scale it across mm -hmm. multiple platforms. So, yeah, it makes total sense. And just one more question about that. Uh, what are the clinicians that go to the ground rounds that you mentioned? It's just the ones that are flagged that are not having the expected outcome or everybody has to participate, have to participate on the ground, ground rounds. Gotcha. So, all clinicians that are seeing patients for us are expected to participate in grand rounds. If they don't have any patients that present that week, they're at least expected to then listen 
um, because it's also an opportunity they can share. Maybe they've seen a patient. So we have a, you know, an environment there where it's a learning environment that if someone else, you know, has encountered that same type of patient or same type of problem, they can offer their opinion as well. Um, so they're all expected to participate. Um, and then you can also bring voluntarily bring a patient up that you might have a question about. And so if a clinician of, that I'm working with, maybe nobody on their list, you know, came up this week, but they have a patient that they have concerns about, they can present that case as well. Okay. And I know we've been talking about the clinical process, but do you have anything else to add on how does your clinical process differ from other um, PT clinics? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that, you know, as we talked earlier, and, and I think it comes back to it's our process is rooted um, in, I think you mentioned it as well, the most efficient outcome for the patient. And, you know, that then therefore needs to be rooted in the assessment. All right. And so our process is very much rooted in assessment versus treatment. And so instead of taking a, you know, a diagnosis, if you will, and then applying a you know, a treatment regimen to it, you know, it's rooted in an assessment process in order to choose the most efficacious pathway for a patient to go down. You know, in, you know, our kind of, our data or historical data would suggest upwards to 92% of cases that present to the clinic are mechanical in nature and will best respond to a movement-based approach. Um, and so being able to assess for those identifying, but then move along the 8% that are not appropriate to be there is really where I think we set ourselves apart. Yes, absolutely. And then you can just refer these patients as soon as possible to the appropriate provider, right? And then make the care more efficient anyway, either having PT or referring um, to the right provider. Exactly. You know, if someone is a appropriate surgical candidate, we don't necessarily want to see them for six weeks if we can identify that a lot sooner and get that patient down that pathway. Or if they need some type of, you know, chemical intervention because they have an inflammatory dominant condition, you know, we don't want to delay that process if we can. And that's, and that's really where the assessment and being able to reliably determine who those patients are from the outset or at least as efficiently as we can. Um, where we can be successful at creating an outcome that is at the greatest value for whether it's the patient or an organization we're with. And, and you're still saving time and money by giving them the proper care as soon as possible. So it's another great thing. Exactly. There's a lot of ancillary benefits that, you know, if a patient does need some other type of intervention, if you delay that and let's say they're not able to work, or let's say, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, like I said, benefits or costs there that come into the patient's life. If we're able to deliver them down the right pathway quicker, um, their quality of life improves and the outcome is that much better. Yes, absolutely. And how does IMC integrate technology into treatment practices? Yeah, so um, I think I, I could start off on this one. So uh, I talked a little bit about this um, when I was explaining our overall model, but uh, the the two, the two main avenues where patients could access the IMC program 
uh, through technology are going to be our mobile app, uh, which is called Joystrog, and then our telehealth program. And so our mobile app, the way that that works is patients can go through a self-assessment and then self-care approach that's based off of the clinical data that we've collected over the past 15 years. Um, so basically what we did is we created a system where patients are putting in their pain, their function, their level of disability and so forth. And then ultimately then going, setting baselines, going through movement testing. And if they are, if they do have a, a condition that is appropriate for the app and is relatively low complexity, meaning lower pain levels, higher levels of function and so forth, then they're ultimately able to be assigned a self-care approach that is then assigned to them as a home exercise plan for the patient to then complete directly in the app. Uh, they can track their progress in the app. We reassess them um, every 24 to 48 hours when they log back in. Um, and then at any point, if they do need additional assistance, they have the ability to reach out to one of IMC's health coaches who can help direct them either to a clinician uh, via telehealth or in-person care, or could help troubleshoot any issues that they might be seeing in the app as well. Um, on the telehealth side, uh, we launched that about three or four years ago, and that sort of grew organically out of our need to be able to work with employers that had more of a dispersed workforce. Uh, so we had employers that didn't really fit the the, our traditional model, which was having either on-site or near-site clinics to be able to assist their populations. And so we needed to be able to deliver the same quality and process of care, but in a more uh, national setting. Um, and so to do that, telehealth has been a great fit so far. Uh, so we developed our own telehealth platform that allows patients to message back and forth with their clinician in between visits, um, of course, connect via video for the actual visits, um, and then also see exercise videos and instructions that their clinician has assigned to them so that ultimately they can be able to go through that information and have a more thorough uh, plan of what they need to do in between each visit. Uh, it, it, it's been uh, interesting to look at the data for telehealth over time and, and the growth of it, especially after the pandemic um, over the past uh, couple years and the growth of patients wanting that as a solution and employers also wanting that as a solution for their members. Um, and it's given us a good opportunity to look at the clinical outcomes and the financial outcomes that ultimately stem off of that uh, form of care as well. And what we found is that our clinicians are able to deliver uh, very similar outcomes, whether it be in person or whether it be via telehealth. And I think that also goes into the type of care and the quality assurance that Scott's been describing and just the MDT model in general as well, being that uh, the type of care that we're delivering is much more hands-off than some maybe more traditional types of physical therapy might be. Yes, that's awesome. Scott, do you want to add anything? No, I think Nick I kind of summed up the our technology as well. Um, I touched on earlier, we also use it as a, patient management tool to monitor outcomes um, on a serious perspective, as well as what Nick suggested was, you know, looking at clinicians' performance, making sure that they have the support they need um, to provide, you know, appropriate care to their patients. And if we're seeing that somebody's having a difficult time with a, you know, a certain body area, 
we can provide um, increased training around that. You know, so those are other ways we use, and we also um, look at data across you know claims data and things of that nature. Also to analyze how well we can benefit a given client. Um, so we can see what, let's say, a membership has been doing for a company and how they've been utilizing care in the community. And we can then identify how well uh, we could benefit them if they were to use us as their solution versus what they're currently doing with community-based care. Yeah. And um, about the app, Nick, that you mentioned, who can access the app? Is just IMC clients or the general population? Yeah, so the app is actually available to anyone that wants to use it. Um, so if you just go to app.jointstrong.com, um, you can you can feel free to test out a version of the app. Um, and basically, you just have to sign up and create a profile and then be able to go through it. Uh, we do some customization for our different clients, but uh, the free version is available for anyone to be able to view online. And it, it's a web app, so it will work on any browser. So you can use it on a phone, a tablet, or on a um, laptop as well. That's awesome. And then you mentioned that you have a health coach that can uh, help in the process. So that would be the MDT clinician or it would be someone else? No. So so our health coaches are trained internally. Um, so they're familiar with how the app works. They're familiar with the exercises that are built into the app. Um, but they aren't necessarily clinically trained. But if someone does need that additional clinical intervention, then at that point, the health coach can assign them and schedule them with one of our MDT clinicians for a telehealth-based okay. visit. Yeah, that makes sense. And then about the telehealth, I think that's awesome that you said the outcomes are very similar to the in-person sessions. So I imagine you can save money by not having to have a clinical location necessarily to see these patients. And my question would be, after the pandemic, um, now that people are not as scared, I mean, I don't know, now you have this new variant that's kind of weird, everybody's getting it, but in general, people are not as scared as in the beginning, I, I think. So do you think that the number of people that are willing to do telehealth has decreased over time or you feel like it's something that still people are uh, wanting to do? Yeah, so uh, with our clinics where we have easy and available in-person access, so um, for example, our, our main clinic in Tallahassee or different employers where we have actual on-site clinics, I would say more people have returned to on-site care, um, but there's still a pretty big portion of the population and especially on the employer side that are more acceptable of the telehealth based model now. Um, so we have a few clients now that have telehealth only models. So we don't have any in-person sites that are available to them. Um, it's only that telehealth based model. Uh, and those are all going really well. and We're still getting the participation. So I think there's still a, a large cohort that likes that in-person care side. Um, but I think the telehealth grew and the acceptance of it as a solution on the employer side really grew as well. Do you think that's because they are forced to do because they don't have another option? Or do you think that some people really enjoy doing it? I'm just asking because I see my patients doing telehealth and the ones that they do, they really like and we see good results. But I still feel that a lot, a big part of the population 
they can grasp the concept of telehealth. So I was just curious to see if after that you still feel like just people that are forced to do or some people really like enjoy and see the value of doing virtually. Yeah, I, th I think it's a little bit of both. I think some people do really enjoy that as a care model. And then I think even the ones where IMC via telehealth might be their only option, I think uh, because they're more used to telehealth now, we see a lot less people that don't understand how the technology works or aren't familiar with telehealth. When we started doing it about four years ago, uh, there was a lot of people that had never done a telehealth session before. They weren't familiar with it. There would be a lot of technology um, issues, more so on the user side. Um, but then now it seems like people are used to doing uh, telehealth or at least uh, connecting with people via Zoom, for example. And so they've gotten a lot more used to how to how the technology works and everything. And so that's helped um, quite a bit. Scott, I don't know if anything you want to add from um, actually treating patients on, on the telehealth side as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a natural level of skepticism in certain individuals, and that may go back to, you know, what their belief pattern is of physical therapy, right, is that you have to put your hands on on somebody. And, and that's a fairly small percent of the population. Now, could you make a clinical management process faster by putting your hands on somebody or make, you know, get more information? You can, but you can be creative and get the same information from a virtual setting you know, as well. Um, and so I think there is a, a level of being able to engage the patient around the fact that you're going to go through a process that would be the same if you were sitting in front of me in a clinic right now, as it will be by sitting in front of you with a screen. Um, and so if you can get them to wrap their minds around that and the self-care model, um, you can usually get them to drop those skeptic uh, belief systems. Um, and no doubt if, if a employer has a program that they want to promote that is, you know, virtual only, that obviously helps <laughs> um, from a participation perspective. Yes, absolutely. Do you have anything else to add about the, the business model at all before I transition to the final questions? No, I, I don't think so from my end. Um, Scott, anything that you want to add? No, I think um, we seem to sum it up well, unless you have you know other questions around that, Mariana. No, I think it's clear. Um, so I'm going to transition to the final questions. Um, so what is your favorite resource of information? Any books or specific papers, studies that you like in particular? Yeah, Scott, Scott do you want to go first on this one? Um, yeah. And then I, I can answer more in general, um, being... Not being a physical therapist, I, I don't have the clinical resources, but I can maybe provide some business resources as well. Yeah, you know, I think um, right off the top of my head, if I just go with my gut instinct, my favorite resource would be my like peers and colleagues. Um, as being able to work with other clinicians that are like-minded uh, creates an environment that, you know, you can seek a resource from another individual who... Um, speaks your language and can, and, and that in and of itself is invaluable. Um, you know, as far as specific papers or books or studies, um, you know, I, I still go into the training modules and look at it for a variety of reasons, whether it be, you know, from a work perspective or even from a clinical, just, you know, resource perspective 
and still learn things from them every time I access them. So um, those would be my top two would be my colleagues and, and then our web-based platform. Yeah. Um, and on my side, uh, as I mentioned, I don't necessarily have any clinical resources that I use, but um, just thinking of business in general and kind of the operation side of things. Uh, I know when I, uh, especially when I first started working with IMC, I, I was reading a lot of different business books and I found them to be very helpful. Um, some of my favorites were uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, uh, The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis, and uh, Titan by Ron Cherneau. Um, I think there's a lot of lessons that you could learn, and uh, especially for any PTs that may be on the cash-based side or owning their own practice and so forth. I, I think uh, reading more literature on the business side can probably be helpful as well. Yes, they are all important because it's not just clinical. If you if you want to probably be MDT clinicians are, um, I, I, I would say that they are more prone to have their own business. So it's all helpful. Um, and the next two questions are probably more to Scott, more clinical. So what would be the best advice you give to the clinicians that are starting their careers? Yeah, you know, I, I think... Um, not to, as, uh, Kevin Jones likes to tell me not, not to drown the camel. Um, but, um, I think going through MDT training is, is a very invaluable thing to do in the beginning of your career, um, to create, um, a, a nice foundation of a reliable assessment process, um, versus a varied process and the earlier you can do that the better you know i think that some of the clinicians that i've seen that are the most talented is they they haven't dabbled in other areas they tend to you know they, they learn the mbt process and it helps them then structure their thoughts and their assessment and then even if you have other tools and things you learn down the way continue to use that assessment to apply to that um so if i was recommending something early on it would be to, to go down that training pathway and i think then the mgt will be the base for everything having the assessment i think it's really valuable when it comes to the end you mentioned an important point that the mdt assessment being the base eventually and um i i don't think we mentioned this earlier and i think and it just popped in my head we have as part of our business model both licensed physical therapists and um, doctors of chiropractic medicine that work for us. Um, and then we also train primary care providers in a triage assessment that's somewhat MDT based. And so we, you know, would love to see at some point, you know, that the, yes, the MDT assessment and the language used around it is the way we make decisions for musculoskeletal patients, you know, and so the more people that can have that base early on, the better. And now that you just mentioned the chiropractors, so do they use MDT or they, they, they use both? Or if they are working with IMC, is that like they have to just use MDT? Yeah, so they, they practice the exact same way all of our clinicians do. Um, and so they use the MDT assessment and, you know, progress the way the rest of us would. And so you wouldn't know unless you looked at our business cards or our license which one of us is a physical therapist versus a chiropractor. That's interesting. So then what other type of providers that you train? You said uh, primary care physicians, chiropractors. 
any anyone else? Um, no, so we 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 have on staff chiropractors, physical therapists, and then we have a primary care training platform that we um, we use to train primary care providers on a triage assessment, and then they can utilize us for higher complexity cases. But then they can use the app to manage lower complexity cases. Okay, and now that you just mentioned that, another question about the PCP. So. Do they use MDT on their practices or they work as like affiliates with IMCA, uh, IMC2? Yeah, so they're typically um, either embedded in a health center with us um, at a given employer and they're not using MDT, but they are seeing musculoskeletal patients. And so we, we train them around the assessment, um, at least a, a kind of Cliff Notes version of it. Um, and and then in other settings, they're separate from us, but they will refer into us from a virtual care perspective. Okay, that's interesting. So the final question, what personal qualities or abilities are important to be a successful physical therapist? Yeah, I mean, obviously clinical skill helps, but I actually think that like your interpersonal skills and being able to relate to different types of people is probably one of the best um, qualities and being able to then you know, find common ground with a, with a variety of people. Because um, if you can relate to people and create relationships, you know, that then affords you an opportunity to assess them, you know, even if then it takes you time to go work through a problem clinically. Because, um, you know, it's that personal, I think personal relationship piece that that's not necessarily taught. Um, and so if you can you know, build and improve your interpersonal skills. I think that will, that will help you um, in the clinic as well and professionally. That's like you develop over time seeing clients and then um, it's not something you learn on school. So with practice, you start seeing that the relationships are very important for the outcome too. So if, you're, if you don't have good relationships with the client, your, your outcomes are maybe not going to be as good as they could if you had a good relationship. So I think that's something you, you develop over time seeing patients. Yeah, for sure. And Nick, from a, from a third-party perspective, did you have any thoughts on what you've seen? No, no, I think, I think that was good. No, I, I completely agree. I think that the um, interpersonal relationships have, have been great. And I think one of the unique things uh, for our physical therapists and chiropractors that work for us is uh, that they also get to explore sort of using their skills on that interpersonal side in some of the relationship building as well. So oftentimes they might be the only person that is on the ground floor with the employers that we work with. So they make a lot of relationships, whether that be with the physicians or the account managers or people that are on the HR teams for the different employers that we work with. Um, so I think it's sort of a unique opportunity to get to use those skills in a variety of settings. And um, we've seen that to be very successful in, um, in sort of a different setting, even outside of the, the clinical space as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, anything else you want to add before we finish? No, I don't think so. I, I think uh, that was it for my end. Yeah, no, I, I'm good. Awesome. So I appreciate uh, both of you taking the time to share with us a little bit about the IMC business. I think that the work that all of you do at IMC, it's great. It's 
changing the MSK uh, trajectory. So I really appreciate you sharing with us and inspiring us with your amazing um, job work. So thank you so much. And before we finalize, if people want to contact you or learn more about you, your work, is there a way that they contact you? Yeah, no, um, I think I'm probably a pretty good contact and I can uh, connect anyone that uh, that may have questions to the right person in the organization. Um, so my email is nick.bellis, B-E-L-L-E-S, at imcpt.com. Um, so yeah, if anyone has any questions or if anyone's interested in going through our training programs or um, potentially becoming an IMC affiliate, uh, they're welcome to reach out to me and I can uh, certainly answer any questions they might have. I was going to ask, I was, I was waiting to see if Scott was going to say he's contacting who. My email is also a similar format. It's scott, S-C-O-T-T dot I-Z-E-L-T, E-I-S-E-L-T at imcpt.com. So feel free to reach out if you need something. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us on the podcast. Thanks, Mariana. Questions, suggestions, or topics you want to hear about, talk to me on ptprotalk.com. Join our email list to receive updates and new episodes and subscribe here. Tell your friends about it and be sure to share. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. We are going to publish today's video recording on my YouTube channel, so you can check the link out in the show notes. Thanks for joining us and I'll see you next time. <music>